Shut up and sit down. Welcome again to another episode of the Front Row Central Podcast, another stripped-down podcast today featuring the wonderful tag team duo of your friend and mine, Joseph J.W. Wade. Hey, Mom. And me, Martin R. Schneider. <laughs> how, are you today? how are you today? Oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. I just, you want to know where I just spent like three and a half hours? Where's that? At the opera. Oh, fancy. Yeah, I... I I have a girlfriend who like likes to do stuff, and she hasn't quite figured out that I'm the kind of person that doesn't do things. Like, like I'll just generally mutter like, "Oh, it would be fun to go see a baseball game sometime," and then two weeks later she'll be like, "Oh, we're gonna go see the Phillies and the Dodgers in August. Here's what it costs," <laughs> and I just have to go, "What? No, you're not supposed to actually do things." When, You're supposed to just generally mutter about them and then never do them. When you say, I'd kind of like to see a baseball game, what that means is, let's go to Thirsty Thursday at the minor league ballpark. Let's not, let's do a, a full night out at major league. Although it was fun. Like, I gotta say, oh. like living in a major city, you should go to these big sports events. Oh yeah, baseball's always but, fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to go see it live. Uh, but today I was at the opera, um, because I'm fancy. I saw The Marriage of Figaro. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I learned is not the opera where they sing Figaro, 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 Figaro. Is it the sequel? Yeah, to I kept that? waiting for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like Django. There's just a million Figaro plays, and they're not really related to each other. Figaro is the Django of Italy. Figaro Hang on, lunch. wait a minute. That's not right either. <laughs> yeah, Django is the Django of Italy. <laughs> Figaro Unchained. <laughs> Figaro Kill. If you live, sing. So now I'm just imagining all these movies, all these like weird westerns, but with the cat from Pinocchio, and I love it. <laughs> There's actually a restaurant here in Philadelphia that I think it's called Victor's, and the wait staff is all trained opera singers, so they like sing the specials and the menu. Oh to gosh! You. And there's a movie reference here because it's also the set. Uh, it's Adrian's. It's the it's the restaurant they used for the Italian restaurant that Rocky owns in Creed. Oh, that's cool. They filmed Creed there. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're in Philadelphia and you're looking for a good time, and I understand the food is good and relatively inexpensive for the experience, check out Victor's Cafe. Ooh. I think that's the name. I'm not good at this. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. We'll, we'll research it beforehand. Yeah, no, we won't. Uh, all right. So what we're supposed to talk about today, Joe and I, is... Guardians of the Galaxy, and I do wish we had the full team uh, of our own misfits, our outcasts among outcasts uh, in the film criticism world for this, because it is an ensemble thing, and it does play well with uh, different characters and different people bouncing ideas off each other, but for right now, you just get uh, the two of us, so we'll be the uh, the rocket and the quill, as it were. I am Groot. Uh, Joe, obviously, you are the talking animal. Of course I am. Why would you think differently? 
I was actually irritated that I had to review this because I got halfway through and I realized this is a talking animal movie. <laughs> it didn't occur to me, no. But but like in the week leading up to it, you were you were you seemed so excited to get to see it early, and then when you didn't, I just thought, well, he should see it anyway. He should review it anyway. Oh yeah, here's another wonderful story that will tell uh, our listeners. Um, so I went to a cosplay dance party this weekend. Uh, where I was dressed as Dipper Pines from Gravity Falls, and my girlfriend was Pam Pam Poovey from Archer. Uh, so even though it was supposed to be like Guardians kind of theme, people were just in different uh, movie and TV show costumes. Axel Foley was there. There was a dude in like a Detroit Lions jacket and acid wash jeans. He had a banana in his like inner pocket. <laughs> awesome. It was great. Um, so I did party with like some people dressed as Nebula um, and. Uh, there was one mantis, and there was, I would say, more than the normal amount of sexy raccoons at this party. That's unfortunate. I would say, like, you know, one, you get maybe one or two sexy raccoons per party. This one had, like, five. Wow. Um, and one person came in a full fursuit. But uh, my girlfriend, as Pam, just was, like, in so in character that she won the costume contest. Uh, <laughs> when the In the costume contest, the... Prize was, like, a big pack of stuff from Marvel, including two passes to go see an advanced showing of Guardians 2 in IMAX 3D. We also got, like, uh, some t-shirts, stickers, like, a little stuffed baby Groot thing. So it was all in this, like, big Marvel bag. Uh, And uh, the drink specials for the night were named Rocket and Groot. uh, (laughs) And they played music straight from, like, the awesome mix. So it was all, like, 70s and 80s pop tunes. Uh, our DJ was DJ Star-Lord. It was a good time. Uh, the Rocket, by the way, I believe is just like Old Crow and Sour Mix. That's a shot. And then you chase it with the Groot, which is just uh, Jack Daniels uh, Tennessee Honey with uh, ginger ale. That's Welcome right. to Alka Hollywood. <laughs> we're, we're infringing on another territory right now. Um, uh, it's okay. So I had... I had many drinks. I, uh, I, I am Groot. I was Groot many times. Uh, and we, in our drunken revelries, lost the prize pack. It was actually found up. We left it under a friend's couch, uh, later, and we didn't find out where it was until like half an hour after the movie had started. Ooh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, that really sucks. So that's the story of that. It was a good night, though. Like, so, um, but, so I, that's why I didn't get to go see Guardians of the Galaxy in an advanced showing. Uh, please send us screeners. We will, we will definitely use them and not lose them under couches. We will definitely not leave our, our screeners. If there happen to be any Hollywood executives or like press people listening, you know, please send them to us and we won't stick them under your, our couches. <laughs> All right. So Joe, we both have seen Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and... That is movie number one on the Marvel slate for this year. Uh, it's movie number two of comic book movies we've gotten this year. The first one was Logan. Uh, and that means that we've... Basically, we're two for two right now. I enjoyed both of these films. And I'm looking forward to Thor Ragnarok, which I didn't think I would be. Yeah, Thor... Thor, look, it looks a, like a, it looks like a lot more fun than the Thors we've gotten up to this point. It looks like they're really leaning full tilt into the... The crazy sci-fi uh, nonsense that you know the 
I guess the source material sort of demands. I don't know. A, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I think you can you can fill in the gaps there for me. Hopefully, yeah. the The problem with the Thor movies so far is I think they haven't been able to like really tell how serious they take themselves. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, like Thor one definitely had this problem. Like they got Kenneth Branagh because they wanted to have this like Shakespearean like melodramatic quality to it. Uh, and that shows in certain places, like whenever Anthony Hopkins is capital A acting uh, at Tom Hiddleston. He's acting at, not with, at Tom Hiddleston. But then there was all these, like, goofy moments, the fish-out-of-water things, uh, you know, smashing the mug. Another! And, like, those moments were, I think, the best parts, but they never capitalized on that. So, I think that... Uh, Taika Waititi seems to be like coming up with a good blend uh, of this, of this like uh, weightiness and the silliness, kind of leaning more towards the silly stuff, so, which is so what it, I want to see. It seems like like they've they've done they've done it twice now, where they've sent Thor to Earth and tried to meld the Asgard world and the Earth realm and and to make that sort of fish out of story, fish out of water story work. So this time it looks like well, let's just send him further out into space and see what happens. And yeah, yeah, and that's cool. And they also bringing in the the Hulk, like which is taking from kind of like the Planet Hulk storylines from the comics, uh, and working on that like buddy comedy. So it's a buddy road trip with Hulk and Thor through space, uh, which I'm down with. The best stuff that has come from the Thor character have been like the little shorts of just Thor being a shitty roommate. Yeah, <laughs> that come time uh, online. Um, so I'm glad that we're just getting a bunch of that. And it's, I like the, what I've seen of the visual aesthetic, uh, this kind of, I'm going to call it Rainbow Road style stuff, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is pretty straight out of like the Jack Kirby drawings, but it is just bright and shiny and colors everywhere, which I guess starts in Guardians. There's a lot of rainbow colors uh, and like multicolored stars and looking like a 1980s arcade in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I guess this is the aesthetic they've chosen for their space stuff, which I'm 100% down for. I'm okay with this. Yeah, it it it's like they've they found the coolest like van with the coolest mural on it and said we can make a whole movie out of this look. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I am I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, like the whole eight, sort of late 70s early 80s kind of neon aesthetic, classic rock kind of vibe. It works for Guardians. It, it it definitely works better here than it does than it might in, say, Thor Ragnarok. I don't know what the soundtrack's going to be like for that movie, but if if uh, the Led Zeppelin tune in the trailers in the indication, we might get some of that. I think that's that's a good point too. Uh, Thor himself is kind of like a dude you expect to be driving like a Trans Am and listening to Rat. Yeah. Like, yeah. If if Thor if Thor were a, were a mortal were a human, he would definitely be rocking a mullet. Like he's a character that never quite got out of that '80s phase himself. Anyway, who do you think Thor's favorite uh, hair metal band would be? Would it be Rat, or would it be something a little more um, ostentatious? Dawkin. Who? Dawkin. Oh, okay, Dawkin. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it would. I, <laughs> he would take the Dawkin font and like insist on putting his own name in that logo wherever he went. Or or Motorhead. I think that uh, Thor would definitely be into Lemmy. Yeah, they seem like they'd be buds. That's that's kind of Thor's thing, is he's good at partying, like all of the Norse gods are. And that's their thing. So he's... Thor is basically super-powered Joe Dirt. 
<laughs> oh damn! Now I see. Now I, that just makes me want Kid Rock as a villain in a Thor movie. I don't want Kid Rock in anything ever again. But it it means Thor will get to punch Kid Rock in the face. You don't want that. Tell me you don't want that. It means he would get punched in the face with a hammer. And that's, that's, that's right, bad right, because. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sad about this. I was just. Uh, I was just working through your premise in my brain. Let me. Let me tease this out a little bit, Joe. Okay, go hey, for what it. What the? What were we actually supposed to be talking about? Guardians. I guess Guardians. All right. I'm. I'm happy talking about Thor, but yeah, we need to be talking about <laughs> Guardians. Um. All right. So initial thoughts. Uh, by the way, we're just gonna give a general spoiler alert right here. Uh, I don't care about spoiling anything for this movie right now. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and stop right now. You can read my review on frontrowcentral.com uh, and make that decision. I kept mostly spoiler-free for that one. Yeah, so and, and based on... Uh, be just general discussion. Based on the box office mojo numbers, like, this movie has made ha- almost half a billion dollars. So it's it, I'm pretty, pretty sure most of you have seen it by now. You've definitely seen it by now. And uh, it's going to make more money because it has no competition for the rest of the month. Yeah, I mean, Alien is is probably really the only one, but really, like, come on. Alien is going to cater to Alien fans and really nobody else. It's it's a super niche property by this point, I think. Yeah, it's not the brand uh, that Marvel so, or even Guardians of the Galaxy is, so this movie's got free reign until, like, Wonder Woman comes out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe even after, because the marketing for Wonder Woman hasn't been great. But yeah, let's talk about Guardians. Yeah, so my my thoughts have been well documented. Joe? What you got? Um, I see my when I'm when I'm talking to people about this, my first re- reaction is it was a lot of fun, and I don't mean that to sound uh, like like I'm denigrating the film because like it's it's not a good film. I think it's certainly a good film, but it is a ton of fun. Like they kept the vibe from the first film. the The characters are just as good in this one as they were in the last. Maybe even maybe even better written. I think, and I think it's does a lot more with sort of the character dynamics than the first one did and purely to to the franchise's benefit I think if they can sustain this for a third one I think it'll be the third one will be huge Yeah what I like about the Guardians franchise is how well it kind of like exists on its own I don't need it to really connect to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they're going to make that happen uh eventually but it just plays off in its own little sandbox. You know, it's going to rapidly, actually not even rapidly, gradually expand, draw in a little bit of stuff from other sources, uh, and just kind of be content to have its own little thing. I was reminded of, it reminded me of how much I enjoyed last year's Star Trek Beyond. Uh, because Star Trek Beyond basically served as a almost a one-off, Star Trek episode like well we're gonna go to a planet we're gonna have a little space adventure just in this everything's gonna get wrapped up in this one little package you know kind of one of those Star Trek episodes you could jump into and watch without knowing anything about Star Trek beforehand other than just who the characters were and Guardians is kind of its own thing as well and I appreciate that uh and I definitely felt that vibe I felt that uh James Gunn took a couple of things from J.J. Abrams uh Star Trek verse in this movie, especially that opening sequence uh, with the, again, the Trans Am in Missouri driving through. If Thor were a human <laughs> being, he would be Kurt Russell. 
He would be 1980s Kurt Russell. I think. Why didn't I think of that that's, earlier? That's a perfect, a perfect analogy. Yeah, he's definitely Captain like, like, uh, uh Early 80s Kurt Russell. Overthord. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yep. Yep. All right. Oh God. But yeah, uh, that that opening sequence, like with the Trans Am driving over the uh, hills, hills, the plains of Missouri. Uh, definitely gave me a quick flashback to baby Captain Kirk, like, driving his Mustang uh, through the desert with Beastie Boys blaring in the background. Uh, because one of the things that we've seen in this movie is generations. They had they have similar themes. Star Trek 09 and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. They have similar uh, themes about generational heritage being passed on. I think that's going to happen with any movie that's about daddy issues, which this movie is. Yeah, and and this movie in particular, it seems even though you you've, you've got uh Peter Quill and his dad Ego and they're working out their father and son dynamic together, you definitely see that throughout the whole movie it's it's all about family and lineage and generations sort of coming to he- coming to terms and coming at you know coming to at each other uh, head on. And like Yondu, I think it's is a big Fast and the Furious in space. It's Fast and Furious in space, yeah. And I think Yondu has like a huge part to play in that because um, we've we've gone into spoiler territory, right? Like we're no 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 turning back now. Because no turning back. All now. right, because Yond like Yondu is for for better or worse Peter's stepdad in the movie, and it, it sort of comes out near the end that he's always kind of been that person for him, and it, it comparing him. With ego, who is this this ageless, um, all powerful like sort of visage of baby boomer, you know, grandpa, you put him up against Yondu, and it it kind of um, it kind of highlights the fact that you've really got um, sort of the Gen Xers of the world up against the boomers of the world, and then they're both fighting for the affections of the millennial uh peter quill i guess who he's kind of teetering on on the edge of of that sort of generational divide but i mean it's it's it, i think it works but this is i think this is very much a movie where you know uh james gunn who i think is in his i guess early 40s he's a, a gen x director and he's making a movie for millennials about the fact that boomers are the worst and that gen x and millen- the millennial generation we need to uh join forces to do something about this like that's what I think this movie's about, yeah. essentially. Yeah. What, what I what I mentioned earlier, uh, I said this on Twitter and other things, is that the part of the reason why the Guardians of the Galaxy appeal so well to a younger generation, even though they're not, before this movie were not a very well known comic book property, but the reason they appeal so well to millennials is that they basically are their basic motives are, hey, we're probably going to die soon, and this is not really our fault. I mean, it's a little bit our fault, but it's not really our fault. So let's just make fun of shit and be friends and try to be better. Like, and I feel some camaraderie with that. I feel, uh, when Rocket is strapped down to a chair, facing an enemy who very clearly has the upper hand on him, and Rocket, who just does not give a crap, is just basically beats him by savagely owning him, by just mocking him <laughs> to his face uh, because of his, like, cheerful nihilism. I 
appreciate that. It's really the equivalent of me just, like, screaming at politics on Twitter. Like, you really have the upper hand on me, but I can just sit there and mock you and deride any authority that you possibly have. And so that makes the the point that we're talking about here of Generations uh, makes the casting of Kurt Russell uh, definitely an interesting one. Because Kurt Russell was a child star who was like Walt Disney's prodigy boy. He was in all of the Disney original stuff mm-hmm. and grew up in this area, in this period, and kind of became like one of your dad's favorite action stars. Like Snake Plissken is a character that... Peter Quill would definitely have watched and loved. He's de- he's going to be just like the David Hasselhoff. They do make the David Hasselhoff reference. Uh, so, generationally, Kurt Russell does kind of mean sci-fi badass. Or western right. badass. And having him next to uh, Chris Pratt, who they're trying to give that mantle to, which I don't think they should, but Hollywood is trying to do that, uh, makes a really interesting generational dichotomy, especially when they're like pitted against each other. Yeah, it's and Michael Rooker, who no one's ever heard of from anything other than like what he just kind of showed up in the past couple of years, but has always been a decent character actor. Uh, gets to like fill in the middle there and be like, "Hey, what about me? I'm Mary Poppins." <laughs> Fucking Mary Poppins. That, that was a terrible. <laughs> But the, Michael Rooker is interesting because, like, I'll, you know, most people know him now from uh, The Walking Dead. And you might know him, I guess, from his, one of his first movies, uh, Henry, the Portrait of a Serial Killer. But m- me personally, he, the first time I ever saw him was when he was eating shit pretzels and mall rats. Um, and then oh, yeah. he kind of disappeared for, like, 15 years and then popped up all of a sudden as this weird, like, genre sci-fi guy. Um, Mallrats, by the way, is super Gen X movie. Yeah, the the most Gen X movie, Poss- possibly. Argu- uh, I, arguably, not, I don't know. Not while not while reality bites exists. That's a fair point. Okay, uh, but but uh, I want to actually go back to what you just said about uh, Michael Rooker um, about Yondu being the stepfather here. Yeah, because that is kind of the dynamic that they put in this movie is that Michael Rooker is. Like, the stepdad who's not perfect, but he's always been around. Uh, and Ego is your deadbeat dad that, like, shows up in his Trans Am and, like, Hey, you want to play Catch Boy? And then automatically just definitely lets you down and then disappears forever. And they put uh, they put Quill in that, like, broken home situation. And now that I think about it, so one of Yondu's, like, triumphant moments is when the line I just referenced, when he's floating down on his arrow and quill tells him he looks like mary poppins mary poppins is a babysitter is a nanny yes. like who steps in as a parental figure for children who don't really have one because their dad is absentee there's a lot of weight to that line and that line is very funny but now that i think about it it's thematically telling a spoonful of my boot in your well face will line. help the help the blood go down Penguin birds dance around. Get them on my ship. Supercala, what taser face? Okay, yeah, we gotta talk about taser face. <laughs> that was the scene I was just referencing earlier. Taser face is the bad guy who has mutinied against Yondu and has Rocket strapped to a chair and is probably gonna kill Rocket. And he just says that his name is Taser Face. 
And Rocket just makes fun of him incessantly. Like, what kind of a name is Taserface? And he very triumphantly and, says, it's metaphorical. But as Rocket continues to grill him, you learn it's metaphorical for nothing. Yeah, It, metaphor it means nothing. It just sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, Which is awesome because uh, Guardians of the Galaxy have a dude whose whole, like, character thing is that he doesn't understand metaphors. And if, if Drax had been and, in that situation, that scene would have gone very different, differently. Yeah, absolutely. And the Guardians of the Galaxy themselves, even though I did just mention a metaphor, the films themselves don't necessarily need to get super metaphoric. No, uh, no. I mean, it, in, I, especially in a movie that, like, have, wears its heart so so emphatically on its sleeve, like, you don't need to have do subtext or... or um, uh, alter, ulterior motives. It's you can you can just let the the space raccoon be about uh, daddy issues if you want it to. You can let the space raccoon be about daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. that came out. One wrong, thing but yeah, I'm going to tie our our like a plot and b plot together here. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing I liked about the like arcade rainbow aesthetic uh, is that there were some overt references to arcade gaming, uh, including the Pac Man like moment straight out of pixels but there were some more subtle ones that were just like visual cues and i remember when the first time that peter and company are flying away from the sovereign uh in their like drone powered arcade machines because they're basically just playing video games to shoot oh yeah uh, oh yeah at the guardians but i remember thinking oh this looks a little bit like asteroids and then they go into a literal asteroid field <laughs> I was like, oh, your your homage to Asteroids is just Asteroids. And then Asteroids gets homaged again at, major spoiler, Yondu's funeral. When all of the other Ravagers led by Sylvester Stallone show up and they shoot off a bunch of lasers and explosions. It looks very similar to how a game of Asteroids would look if placed on a giant wall. And I've played Asteroids on a giant wall before. So, that's... it. Borrowed that, like, 1980s aesthetic without being obnoxious about it. Uh, those pixelized ideas. It wasn't like the movie Pixels, except for that one little Pac-Man Except for thing, the Pac-Man. Which was funny because they had given us the setup earlier. Like, Pat, Chris Pratt has that good delivery of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some weird shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting you, you bring up Asteroids as, as a reference in Yondu's funeral because, like, I guess just because it's the, the pen, the, I guess pinnacle of space funeral in funerals in cinema. I can't could not help but think about um, Spock's funeral in Star Trek Two. Right, I mean, and that's a very like somber moment. They shoot him off. He's alone. Uh, Kirk gives the monologue. Uh, Scotty's playing the bagpipes at that point. I think right. Yeah, yeah. The only thing Spock didn't get was that amazing sort of like rainbow pyre. That they kind of burn it, burn Yondu up with as they're like casting his ashes out into the to the the great beyond, I guess. Um, the, the, right, this movie but... leans so hard into its like rainbow aesthetic, and I, I I can't help but just love it. I mean, it it works where so many other films that try to incorporate other other weird color schemes just fail because there's it. You could easily make this look like very gaudy and tacky and just silly but this movie kind of owns that silliness in a way that those other 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 films just just don't figure a way out of you know and, and it's it's because they own it like it's because they go full-fledged into it the thing is you could you're right you could make that look ugly and tacky and gaudy 
And it would still kind of work for the kind of movie that Guardians of the Galaxy is. You could probably get away with it. Uh, because it'd be like a thin level of irony to it. But there's no irony to this. Oh, no. Which no. is ironic. It, which is ironic for a film we're calling a Gen Xer film. Because Gen Xers are all about the irony. Is I guess we should, we they should have to figure that out. Is it a Gen Xer film or is it a millennial film made by Gen Xers? I think the latter. Okay. I think the latter. Uh, this would be like, well, here's here's what we'll, what I'll get into. So one thing I dislike about movies made from uh, old franchises, one thing I dislike about reboots uh, or comic book movies in general um, is whenever they're ashamed of their source material. And the worst example I can think of this is The Lone Ranger, Ooh, which yeah. like The Lone Ranger was determined to be kind of aloof and distance itself from the silliness that is its source material. So when the when the Lone Ranger finally gets to yell his catchphrase, Hi-ho, Silver, away! There's like a beat, and then Tonto, uh, played by Johnny Depp, says, Never do that again. Like, we're making fun of it. Uh, making fun of how cheesy it is. And that's really off-putting after a little while. I don't want to watch you make fun of things over and over again. Uh... Yeah, like it's it's I one think it, that uh, it's one thing to play with the conventions and subvert them and make fun of them and have fun with them, but it's entirely another to to openly mock them in your own movie. Like that's kind of why that movie fails. I mean, there's a number of reasons why that movie fails, but yeah, like you don't you don't hate you don't mock yourself in your own movie unless it's for fun. I think that if you had given like a silly movie like this to like another Gen X filmmaker like Richard Linklater or Kevin Smith, who, despite being this like comic book guy, seems to have a really very tried relationships with, with them. I don't think it would have that like level of sincerity. I think that it would still be kind of uh, at arm's length from its material. Yeah, and I think that's why James Gunn is such a good fit for this, because he's he's spent so much time working in like the... I guess the dregs of, of genre cinema, like he, he's worked for trauma and he's, he's made independent horror films and he knows how these things can go wrong. And so when he gets the chance to do something on a bigger scale with a lot of money, he knows how to put just enough heart into it to make it work. Yeah. Once you work for trauma, uh, you really can't take yourself seriously at all. No, no. And I mean, once you make a horror movie where, Michael Rooker plays a blob monster that like makes a filing cabinet full of meat. Like you, you're, yeah. there's really no com no coming back from that. <laughs> have you seen Slither, by the way? I have never seen Slither, and it's like been one of those movies that I know I should watch. It is. It, it's. You know what I? What? Tell me about okay. Slither. So Slither uh, came out, I guess, about ten years ago, and it was James Gunn's real first. His it was his his first movie away from trauma. And it's basically this sort of sci-fi horror pastiche that's kind of a little bit Night of the Creeps, a little bit Dawn of the Dead. Nathan Fillion plays this sort of small, small, small town cop. And Michael Rooker is this kind of hillbilly guy who gets taken over by this sort of alien hive mind. And he starts infecting the other people in town with these little worm creatures. And all the worm creatures start to converge on his, it's either his wife or his ex-wife played by Elizabeth Banks. And it's all about Nathan Fillion trying to stop this giant blob monster from A, killing the town, and B, um, d eating Elizabeth Banks alive. 
And it, it's really a weird kind of metaphor for like, mar- like James Gunn having marriage issues, I think. And it's it's him just taking it to the, its most disgusting, sort of horrific extreme. But it's also very goofy and very silly. You know, speaking of James Gunn's marriage issues, I do have, like, maybe I got rid of it when I moved. But floating around my house, uh, I have a DVD of a independent film directed by James Gunn's wife, uh, Jenna Fisher, of The Office fame. Uh, starring Jenna Fisher and James Gunn. Uh, it's a DVD called Lolly Love. And I think there may be only like a hundred copies of this movie. It's not good. Oh, wow. Um, but it's a mockumentary written and directed by Jenna Fisher about, I guess, kind of the liberal bourgeois, the liberal, uh, oh, we would like to help but not get too far into the help ideal. And it, Jenna Fisher and James Gunn play themselves as, like, Hollywood filmmakers who want to help the homeless, but their idea for helping the homeless isn't, like, giving them money or providing shelters. It's really just, like, creating art on, like, sticks for lollipops and then giving the homeless lollipops to make them feel better and brighten their day and encourage Uh, them. That sounds like the The worst, The premise of this is... Like, the premise of this, of letting those people mock... Or let, having them mock those, like, I'm going to say straw men, but they're not really. But the premise of a doc- mockumentary mocking that group of people sounds good. It's very funny. The execution is tedious at best. There's, like, a handful of funny bits to it, but I could not force myself to get through the whole thing. I think I bought it because it was at a thrift store. I was standing in line. It was literally an impulse buy. It's like, this is a dollar. I don't know what this is. I'll get it. And I regretted it. <laughs> what's there it, you go. What's it called There's again? A, I need to look this up. Called Lolly Love. L-O-L-L-I-L-O-V-E. Okay. And I think that extra L is important because if you type in L-O-L-I love, you're going to get very different results, Ooh. my friend. And you're also going to get visited by the FBI. So that was a brief trip down James Gunn's filmography. And if if you want to really learn about how James Gunn feels about his uh, doomed marriage, just watch the the triple feature of of uh, Slither and Super and then Guardians of the Galaxy, and that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. He's a me- he's yeah. actually ma- he may that's be secretly rem- a messed up dude. <laughs> no, he's he's dark, and that's I think why he was such an odd pick to helm a Marvel movie made by committee. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the first Guardians, which, uh, pretty well follows the formula set by most Marvel movies. In fact, most movies in general, it's a pretty solid, like three act structure film. And even though it's, it's fun and exciting and it was different from most of the comic book movies that came out at the time, it still follows a formula. It's still like done by committee and that James Gunn felt like a weird pick for that. And he managed to pull it off. I think what I like about Guardians 2 is that it definitely deviates from that formula a little bit. Uh, It takes a little bit to get into the story itself. There's, like, actually two plots going on, and the B plot with Rocket uh, is way more interesting than the A plot with Ego and Quill. Yeah, the the structure is very odd. Well in advance. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. we, We start with the B plot, and it continues throughout. Uh, and then we we get into the A plot at the like the first and second act break, uh, 
And I thought that was interesting. And the other thing is, we already mentioned Yondu's funeral. Uh, that happens. That happens for real. And other Marvel movies, they, like, they tease that. They tease the heroic sacrifice and then they cut it off at the end. Uh, to the point where, like, ten years into these movies, it feels meaningless. So when Yondu makes his sacrifice and actually sacrifices himself for Quill, and for once Marvel Studios really does this, they really kill someone, then th- that has actual impact after ten years of them, like, blue-balling you for that. Oh, yeah. I I did have one, one like, nitpick with, with, the, with Yondu's death scene. And I I don't know if it was just because they really wanted to nail that funeral and they had that planned way off in advance or if they just didn't figure this out or what. But like Quill has that little little device on his on his ear that like manifests a helmet. Right. Right. At at what point could. Oh, yeah. At what point could Quill not have given him that before flying off into space? Yeah. Wait a minute. Quill has his own little helmet thing. Exactly. And then Yondu gives him the little space suit. So that he can take him up into the ship on, you know, and into outer space. And by the time Quill realizes what's going on, he should be like, dude, what happened? I could have given you my little helmet thing. But noble sacrifice. I mean, does, he gives that, to, he does that for Gamora in the first movie, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's not like there's not precedent for it. Well, there you go. Hi, there you go. How it should have ended. Dot com. Congratulations. We broke Guardians of the Galaxy 2. We, we've, done, we've done your work for you. We'll, we'll take the credit on this one. I'll take my check. Um, Thank you very much. Speaking of checks, speaking of checks, let's play a game, Joe. Okie doke. Uh, tell me what songs you think will be on Guardians of the Galaxy 3's soundtrack. Ooh, well, you know, they, they really opened it up to a whole, a whole new world of musical possibilities. Yeah, they did, because at the end he gets a Zune, which... Uh, dates it to like what two thousand five with a hundred songs on it. But but that Zune has uh like whoever owned that Zune loaded up with Cat Stevens and uh Cheap Trick. So Uh, fair enough. uh, Again, this was your dad's Zune. I think a good a strong possibility is think about like mid two thousands sort of indie rock staples. Oh, you think you think they're gonna go? I that think they're gonna way? go like Franz Ferdinand and OK Go because uh, I would be okay with that. I would be okay with like like a like a Seven Nation Army scene. Oh God, yes, that's perfect. With Rocket and Groot. That's actually perfect. Yeah, I would be I would be down with that. Like I figured they might just stick with what's worked so far, and like, like I think like the Jay Giles band is sitting there waiting for someone to like give them a call. Yeah, probably. Um... You know, squeeze probably like, you know, you know, it's a good song. Tempted, you know, tempted by the fruit of a. You could do a lot of fun with that. Please call us. Let's get Gamora to dance around to uh, Centerfold. How 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 about that? No, 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 no. We don't need to do that. No, come come on. Ooh, ooh. No. Speaking of Gamora, I her plot line with Nebula again way more interesting than the uh, that that's like the B and a half plot. To me, this movie really belongs to Rocket, uh, who is mostly separated from Groot, who is doing a turn as, like, the most marketable part of this movie. Oh, yeah, the, the plush um, toy made, do, made into a character. Yeah, I do appreciate them not going full minions on us with Groot. Yeah, that could have been so um, bad. That could, They could have done that real easily. But no, uh, Gamora and Nebula, like, they get kind of the, the most interesting um, 
I guess little little runner plot in there because Nebula Nebula is is still out to just murder Gamora for purely petty reasons, and they do get into it, but uh, it makes for a couple of really really cool action scenes, especially the one where it's like it's like Gamora is sitting out on the plains of Ego's planet, and then Nebula shows up in a spaceship and then d- goes full North by Northwest on her. It's yes. kind of an amazing sequence. That's actually. exactly the phrase I was going to use. Yeah. And I love I love that scene a lot because both of these women are trained warriors who are like good at tactics, but when they fight each other, it's just like they forget everything and it's just so personal that it's just brawling. Like there's no logic whatsoever. Like yeah. Nebula probably should have figured I can't crash my ship into this cave, but she just hates Gamera so much that she's just like, I don't care. <laughs> It, it gets. It really gets down to like I'm know, just going to throw you to the ground and throttle you to death. Like it's that kind yeah, of sibling like hatred, which I I no, I won't say I understand it, but uh, I've seen it. Yeah, you, you get it. It's and it's good. I really like uh, Nebula's like T1000 movements when she's like putting herself to, back together. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, kind of highlights the roboticness of her that has been dealt with as a theme throughout this movie. Uh, Characters who do get shoved to the sides are Drax uh, and Groot. Groot is kind of shows up that would be cute every once in a while. Uh, and then Drax kind of, uh, because his motivations have been pretty well mined in the first movie, gets to play, I think you called him a uh, retiree. Yeah, I, I actually, I think Drax might be my favorite character in the movie because he plays Drax, or Batista plays Drax the way you would see like a guy like jet skiing out on a, uh, on a sunny day like he he has no not a care in the world like his his uh revenge plot has been put to bed he can not worry about that anymore and now he's just cackling to himself like a madman every time he gets to jump into a fight or do anything even remotely dangerous he's enjoying the shit out of himself and it's so much fun to watch we'll make him like he, he's like the cool retiree if this is uh if this is a movie about like your dads and you know baby boomers he's like He's like the one baby, like dude who's kind of cool. He's like the Jimmy Buffett fan of of yeah, boomers. Yeah, I'll 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 give you like, that. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. Yeah, Dark Horse candidate for best line in the movie happens right at the beginning, where Drax, like using Drax logic, jumps in. He pulls a Tommy Lee Jones and jumps into the beast to try to cut it from the other side. And in the middle of the fight, Quill and Gamera have that discussion. What? That doesn't make any sense. It's just as thick from the inside as it is from the outside. <laughs> like, that's that's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Uh, so, yeah, Drax's kind of whole story is him having a f- uh, friendship with our new character, Mantis, which is pretty much the only storyline that Mantis gets. Uh, I mentioned in my review I was not happy with that character. Uh, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Um, and someone else can probably... Uh, take up that mantle i'm gonna stay in my lane Mm -hmm. here i do think it's very interesting that you have a character whose whole like thing her whole uh, raison d'etre is she feels things (laughs) and she's the only one of the characters who doesn't get a moment to be to express their feelings that is unfortunate i think it'd be really interesting especially because her entire existence has been to serve someone else so having this character who's all about feelings finally get a moment to like give her own feelings out into the world, 
that would be a really good scene if if done well. And hopefully we're seeing that in Guardians 3. I'm hoping that'll center more around Mantis, just like this movie seems to center more around Rocket. Uh, but yeah, I was not happy with uh, Mantis. She's kind of the weak link in this and, chain. And then what does what does Drax do when he meets Mantis? He negs her like relentlessly, and not even on purpose. It's just it just kind of falls out of him. Yeah, yeah. He they're mean to her the entire movie, and she's also like infantilized. Like she acts like like a like a teenage girl, or not even like a teenage girl, like a child yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, who's scared of everything. And it's just, it's it's not a good look. It gets a little mean-spirited. Man, I think that James Gunn might have some issues with women. You think? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right, Joe. So uh, what would you... So this was one of the first times, probably the first time in a comic book movie, where the uh, credit scenes rolled, and I just had no idea what was being teased. I'm sure that somebody somewhere got very excited. I had to look up what was going on. Yeah. Uh, there like, were five credit scenes in this movie, by the way. Right. And I, I, I know enough about comics to to understand, like, references to things like Adam Warlock and, uh, like, The Watchers. But, be, like, beyond that, it's, like, it's all Greek to me. So whatever they've got planned coming up, like, okay, I'll be there. But uh, I hope they at least explain it. I had to look up what Adam was, and I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, that's just a whole, like, area of comic books I never really got into. Um, I do think, so, this is all leading up to the big crossover event, uh, Infinity War, where all of our heroes will take on the mighty Thanos. Uh, we've been building this for, like, a decade now. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Because if comic book like sources material is any indication, she's gonna have a big part of the Thanos fight, mm. uh, and I don't care. Like I don't want these worlds to collide. I know that a lot of people have been waiting for that. I I don't. I think that making them collide is gonna ruin the parts that I like about all of them. I don't know. I see Nebula is a character who like she she becomes much more interesting in this one than the first one, but. Like, if she does have a part to play, I can't say I'm excited to see it because I know that there's, there's like, 50 other characters that need to be serviced before Nebula. So, right. I mean, you've got Captain America and you've got Iron Man and Thor and um, hopefully Thanos just punts Spider-Man into the next galaxy. But, like, beyond that, it's a crapshoot as to who actually will get the most screen time in that movie. Yeah, my only, like, logic, my only reasoning for Nebula having a big part in that is that in the Infinity War comic book in that series, Nebula plays a huge part mm. in it. Uh, so that's all I'm basing this on. And I mean... I, but they haven't remained super faithful to that stuff anyway. So it may be completely different. I am just hypothesizing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's, like, a list, a running list out there of characters in the marvel comics who have killed thanos and like three of the guardians are on that list so if the movies are starting to sort of build its case for who should get to kill thanos and why i mean we'll see this movie kind of does that a little Kristen bit shawl as squirrel girl <laughs> of course yeah absolutely i'd be i'd be a hundred percent into that like honestly if Kristen shawl as squirrel girl just shows up at the end of infinity war like 
throws out a thousand squirrels. We now have Uatu the Watcher who can deliver the, yes, I can certify that this is the real Thanos line. And then the Marvel movies just end. We're done. You've been built up, like, what, 15 years by that point? I would consider it, like, the greatest piece of performance art and comedy of all time. <laughs> like, we could just shut down entertainment. But stay tuned for Phase 5. It's coming, and, and guess who's going to be there? I don't know. Will Forte. Will Forte as... Uh, Howard the Duck. They already have yeah, a Howard, already the, Howard Duck. the Duck. It's Seth Green. And they're going to do but Captain they, Marvel... Forte would be a and Forte would be a good Howard the Duck, the last duck on the Earth, la, oh, the last duck on Earth. <laughs> Tandy the space duck. I would watch it a hundred times. Okay, all <laughs> okay. right. So speaking of ending entertainment, uh, we should end this not entertaining yeah, podcast. That's a good place for us to to call it quits for the day. Uh, overall, we both really enjoy Guardians. Oh, we. It's a ton of fun. The soundtrack's great. The characters are very well written, and I cannot wait to see more. So, oh, oh, one last thing I did want to mention. I forget. I forget about this, but I need to bring it up now. Did you see this movie in 3D? I did not. Okay. I did. I went to see it in, in on an IMAX screen, and it just it had happened to be 3D only. So I saw it in 3D. They do some really cool stuff with the 3D camera tricks in this movie. Um, specifically... Oh, I can imagine that the arrow scene, right? Yeah, that's that was a big one. And the other one was when Quill finally realizes that Ego killed his mom, that rack focus, like that, that Hitchcock zoom that they do, they do it in 3D, and it's mm -hmm. fucking amazing. <laughs> okay, that's cool. It's Yeah, so if you get a chance to see it, it's, it is worth seeing in 3D. All right, so that's going to wrap it up here for this this pared down episode of the front row central podcast, please follow us uh, online on Twitter at front row central, uh, facebook.com slash front row central and uh, follow us on front row central.com. And if you're feeling really generous, maybe hit that little donate button. Uh, if you're liking the podcast, you can definitely rate or review us on iTunes or whatever podcast capture of your choices. You can follow me, Martin R. Schneider at Schneid remarks on Twitter and you can follow me uh, at jwadefrc on Twitter. Keep on space trucking. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Good enough. Good night. Good night, everybody. Yeah.